0: Back for another episode of Terry's Talking, David Campbell, Sports Manager at Cleveland.com, alongside Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, how are you? I am well, David. So before we forget, we need to mention today's Wednesday, the 16th of February, and tomorrow is the 17th, which is a Thursday night. And you are going to be making an appearance at the Music Box Supper Club down in the flats. You want to talk about that real quick so we yes, can get, let get, people you, know?
1: It, it's free. Of course, if you're there, they'll want to want see when you want something to eat or whatever. But it's free. You have to sign up online at music the Music Box, and I posted it on social media. And I'll be. It's kind of like my library talks. I mean, the thing that this is only it's in this venue. I've not done this before, but I've talked to some people who have, and they said it's it's really a, a cool thing. So that starts at seven o'clock Thursday. Uh, go to the, like the Music Box. Uh, just Google it and. You could find more info and I'm sure they'll be selling books there because that's what they do. And, uh, but I've already gotten emails from some fans. So I want to bring some other books of mine. I'll be, look, I'll sign, I'll sign it. I prefer it to be my book once in a while. <laughs> I remember one time a guy hands me this book. I never heard of this writer or whatever. And I said, you know, I really like to sign my own books suppose to somebody else. But if you are bring me somebody else, like something like John Grisham or somebody made some money here, I never heard of this guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um it's funny i uh bob dolgan who our longtime colleague at the plane dealer who who's retired now he, he's written some books and one time he gave me a copy of his book and if you know bob this is typical bob but he wrote dave i hope you like the book <laughs> that yeah, was that his was inscription <laughs> that was typical bob so good luck with that tomorrow night uh, it's free and hey i have the url here people wanted it. it's just musicboxclee.com/ slash schedule And you'll see Terry's event right at the top of there, along with Terry's picture. It's going to be vintage Browns and other great stories. So check that out. It's free. Terry, maybe there will be some all-star celebrities visiting the music box for you, think, tomorrow night because everybody's coming here for All-Star weekend. It's kind of exciting to see national media coming to town for a big event like this and kind of getting to experience Cleveland. Looks like the weather's going to be decent. Kind of an interesting time, right? Having nationally prominent journalists, the whole NBA coming here for a
1: weekend. And what I like about it, I'm going to write about this for the weekend too, is that the narrative on the Cleveland basketball now has to be so different than what they thought when this game was scheduled. Uh, We'll forget when it, even this summer, when the start of the season, because you know what they're going to do. We saw it on the Super Bowl. You know, OBJ kicked out of the door by the Browns. The poor guy just longed to be in Cleveland. You know, this would have been the Funeral dirge of LeBron is gone. Year four of the never-ending wake of trying to come back to life after without LeBron. Well, maybe LeBron will come back for another time to save them. Instead, we have this is one of the young teams on the rise, with I think a coach that uh, fans have gotten to know and JB Bickerstaff. A, a lot of them find a very I find it very interesting to listen to. I think he's thoughtful and he's got a certain way he wants to play um, and. You know, he's got this tough mindedness about him. The team is that. Um, and you look at it, it's not a shortcut team. This is a team that's been built uh, over the last few years by Kobe Altman. And we don't have to hear any about, you know, LeBron and this and that. I mean, look, okay, LeBron want a title here. I'm not taking it away, but it just can't always be about LeBron and Cleveland basketball.
0: Yeah, kind of, you're talking about kind of a rebranding, and it was interesting. Ashley Bastock, our colleague that we work with at Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer, she was on a teleconference yesterday with the guys from TNT's NBA show, and both Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith were talking about how much they respected the patient approach that yes. the Cavs have taken. It wasn't like they went out and tried to sign a big three and, and, and just ran up their payroll. They did it in a patient way, and I think people around the league really respect what the Cavs have done.
1: You know, the Suns did it too. Now, they added Chris Paul but they didn't go out and just add, bring in everybody under the sun there. Uh, They, they built it, you know, with, with their top picks and um, they were patient. And so, and they got the right coach, Monty Williams. And so the Cavs, you know, they they went through coaches, they went through players, but now when you look at it, the rising stars game, you got Evan Mobley and you've got Isaac Okoro. I think Okoro is underrated. You know, if anything, we should have learned from Darius Garland is let's not jump to conclusions on these guys right away based on their first year or two. Now, you know, because remember, Darius really didn't take off till the second half of the second season is where he really began to show some stuff. But even then, I did not project him as an all star in year three. I don't know if anybody did. Now, I'm not saying the same will happen with a coral, but the same idea of development can happen with the coral. And then you look at Mobley. My goodness, he looks like a five-year pro. He just Absolutely. does, yeah. And so you've got those two, and then you've got Jarrett Allen, and he, and you've got Garland in the All-Star game itself. I'm so glad they picked Allen because it rewards defense, and there's a bunch of uh, analytic stats and that showed that he was the, he's the second best defensive player in the NBA behind Rudy uh, Gobert from Utah because they look at, you know, shots contested around the rim, that kind of thing. And the other thing about Allen, he's so unselfish. I mean, he he should be shooting, he should be getting the ball more and shooting it more because he hardly ever misses. And it doesn't seem to phase him. I mean, I'm sure he likes to get the ball and dunk it, but um, he's certainly not playing for numbers. Yeah. And I think that, you know,
0: when they were look when Adam Silver was looking to replace James Harden mm-hmm. on the roster, I think having the game in Cleveland helped a little bit, but I also think just what you're talking about, it, Adam Silver gets what Jared Allen's game is. I mean, he knows the league mm-hmm. being the commissioner and he's like, Hey, he deserved to be here. So it, w- it was a, it was a kind of a nod to what we talked about last week that p- people in the NBA respect his game and like, wanted to appreciate it by giving him the all-star bid when it came. And it's it. a way
1: also of selling the, the revival of Cleveland basketball. Two all-stars, two rising stars. Nobody's a free agent at the end of the year other than Sexton is a restricted free agent. I'm talking about the top one. I think mean, Levert's under contract for next year. Love's under contract for next year. Um, you know, So this is not a team that's just going to go away at the end of this season
0: which is what they wanted the whole time. So, so this is a good time, Terry. I wanted to kind of do a quick state of the calves with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, they won 60 games combined in the last three seasons. Everybody everybody thought they were going to have another season like that. Nobody predicted what's happening. They're 35 and 23. This is their best mark heading into the all-star weekend since 2016, 2017 And they also, and Chris Fedor, our colleague, reported this in his story today, it's the league's largest increase in win percentage of any team this season. From last year to this year, the Cavs have the highest increase in winning percentage. So the Cavs are coming off a two-game losing streak. They're going into the break after losing to Atlanta last night. And it was interesting, after they lost last night, J.B. Bickerstaff told the team, like, we're fine. Like, we're we're in a good spot. We're fine. You agree with that?
1: I think he is also what he wants to to play it he's he's blocking this line of pushing them to keep their defensive identity and keep going which fell apart by the way last night and they didn't defend very well and also uh, not having expectations get wildly out of line as you mentioned when you've averaged 20 wins a year for the last three seasons basically when you've won these 60 games and then you think like you're going to go to the NBA finals or something. It's just unrealistic. But you, you begin to put everything in place. So, look, the stay of the Cavs is um, short-term, really promising, long-term, extremely promising, as we mentioned about how they're not losing key people. Um, I am concerned about Garland's back because you could see they're having to rest him in that. So And when he's not in there, it's just a totally different offense. They miss him, you know. As we see, Levert is kind of a bigger version of Colin Sexton. Um, He defends much better than Colin. That helps being six foot five. But you know, the ball go to him and it sticks sometimes. And he's you know he's looking for a shot. I think that's why JB's trying to keep him coming off the bench. We'll see how long that lasts. Because with a Coral, a Coral, you know, he moves the ball and and he's part of that defensive. that whole situation they have. I think they missed marketing more than they let on because uh, that, I remember their their big three were three big guys. That was their big three, you know, with Kevin Love coming off the bench. And I think the defense has not been as good since then. And then you saw in a a rough and tumble game with uh, Philadelphia that that was like saying, ah, you guys aren't quite there yet.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was a good call. Some fans were probably expecting maybe marketing could come back last night, but I think it was really smart of the Cavs just to let him ride it out through the All Star yes. break, re- keep rehabbing, come back after. Get a, it'll buy him another week almost, you know, sure. a, a, more than a week. So
1: I think it's nine days till their next game. It's a you know, people, it's an ankle sprain. Now, these are these dreaded high ankle sprains. These guys can sometimes you know be out for uh, two months. It 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 can be really bad because unfortunately, you know, basketball. Is a not only a a, a, where you have to have quickness, it's a lateral quickness. You have to go side to side and and uh lateral and horizontal, basically it's both. That's what I'm trying to say. You in other words, your ankles get turned in a whole in almost a whole circle trying to defend. So get him ready. And I think that his three-point shooting will help because that's one thing he could do is go on the perimeter. I am just so excited to talk about this team being good.
0: Yeah, it's a fun time.
1: I just never thought it. And I was, I've met when I saw the start of the year and the All Star games here, and I'm thinking, you know, I just don't want to go through this. LeBron's gone, and, you know, they were good twice, and LeBron is here, but then they hadn't made the playoffs as 98 without LeBron, and they're never going to make it. We're all going to die, you know, that whole (laughs) uh, kind of thing that happens in Cleveland, you know, that. Oh, poor Cleveland. Well, no, Cleveland's got some life here. Yeah, and so look
0: into the future, Terry. We mentioned Chris Fedor's article today. You can check that out on cleveland.com. He had some questions that he kind of got into looking forward after that, and I wanted to hit you with a few of those to get your take on them real quick. So one of the questions Chris asks is, is it time to put trade acquisition Karis LeVert in the starting lineup instead of bringing him off the bench? You were just talking about Karis LeVert's game. What do you think? Keep him on the bench after the break? You would, would, okay.
1: But we'll see what happens. I would just because um, I like the idea of offense coming off the bench. But now here's the big but I'm looking to see. I've noticed sometimes when Levert's out there with Kevin Love, Love gets lost in the offense. Now if that's a problem, then switch it around. Um, to keep them with
0: different with different guys. Yeah, yeah, It's
1: part of what is making Love work well. If you notice, know, he worked well with, extremely well with Rubio, and he works well with Rondo. So I would make sure that I remember Wayne Embry, who was a cast GM or former NBA center. He goes, you got to remember big guys. He says, no, there are a few, but their job is not to get the rebound dribble it all the way down the court and set up their own shot. You know, the, the guards have to help them. Right. But if the guard is not even looking, then he says you will get discouraged as a big man, you know, because re, remember Kevin does a ton of rebounding. He's not, a, he's, a, and he draws a lot of charges. He's not a great defender, what they call out on the floor, but around the rim between his jawing charges and defensive rebounding, he's, he's elite right in that little like five foot area right in front of the rim. And so, you know, you got to help him you know, and he can shoot, but you got to set him up a little bit.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a minute with with there was something that Mark Price told you about how you got to reward your big guys when they do the little things like that and, and, and around the rim. So, all right, Terry, next question I wanted to hit you with. Um, Chris Fiedor in his story asks, Has the schedule caused the intensity of the Cavs to wane, or is it simply too much to ask a team with such a tight rotation to play so hard for 82 plus games? You think this the schedule
1: is kind of yeah, they it's need to reality, a- reality of the NBA they are played a lot of games, and this is a team that JB is asking them to do it the hard way, you know, win ugly, team grit, all that. i the natural basketball player product of the AAU system where they run and gun and pick up their own teams every summer and and they transfer to four different schools that is not how they're you know this is not how they're taught and so yes I think I think you will see sometimes some slippage and things like that so the all-star game will help them uh, because it, I remember Mike Fratello played a lot of that defensive style, and and he felt that was the only way for the Cavs to make the playoffs back then. And he was probably correct, but he said, you have no idea how hard it is to coach it and to play it, because as a coach, you're trying to push them, push them without running them down, and playing them, you're asking them to do all these things that they don't like to do.
0: It's a tough balance, for sure. So. yeah. All right. And one more, Terry. So another question from Chris's article. How can the Cavs counter opponents blitzing Darius Garland, a strategy that sends an extra defender on the pick and roll in hopes of taking the ball out of Garland's hands? We kind of I think we touched on this about a month ago, but you see that and it's true of a lot of NBA teams. You want to get the ball away from their out of the best players hands. And teams are doing that by they'll bring the ball down. He'll be top of the key. They'll they'll send another guy at him. And sure. try and get and get how can they combat that? And is it a matter of just getting everybody back healthy and getting the three-point shooting? Oh, I think
1: you're gonna to have to deal with it. Um sometimes you don't have to have them bring it up. Yeah, you know, I think McCorough could bring it up, you know, avert could bring it up. You run him off a pick, that kind of thing. That's one. Secondly, uh, there are ways where you could bring a big guy and Jared Allen can pass and Mobley can pass. Bring one of them up to the top of the key bring it to them and then you have guys that they could turn and get and we saw some of that last night Allen hit mobley a couple times uh, from the top of the key to call the high low you know high low action high post to low post so they could do some of those things because those big guys are gifted i mean there's still a lot of game at evan mobley that has not come out on the offensive end Uh, so i'll be curious to see i'm sure they'll break it all down i got a lot of confidence in this coaching staff i just do they're playing it different you know, they're, they're not working out of the, the typical NBA handbook, but this is how your offense runs. This is how your defense runs. Now they're, you know, they're, they're doing different stuff. I'm, my guess is probably JB's digging out stuff from his dad, Bernie Bickerstaff ran with some tough physical teams in Seattle. I mean, that's, he's going old school here, but old school can work with the right guys.
0: Yeah. And you better believe with this break that the Cavs are doing some self-scouting, like you said, uh, asking some outside coaches for some breakdowns Mm -hmm. of what they're doing, what they're not doing. So this will be I think the break is coming at a good time for this team. So, um, hey, Terry, let's get into your column. You had a really nice piece today. You talked to Mark Price and I think fans will be surprised when they read it today about just all the parallels between Mark Price and Darius Garland was really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's shocking because I covered the cast for the Beacon Journal when Mark came into the league in 86. And that draft class, the year before Hot Rod Williams was taken, but he had to sit out a year as he was falsely indicted in that Tulane point-shaving thing. And, um, in fact, I did a lot of work on that case when I was there, and it was a total sham. There were two guys on the team that were – uh, were, were, the, were the instigators and they were trying to grab everybody else to take down. But Hot rod had to sit out a year. And so but he became eligible in '86, and then they also drafted Brad Doherty, Ron Harper, Mark Price, and actually a guy named Johnny Newman too. So they had these five rookies coming in. Newman played 15 years in the NBA, I mean. So but the least heralded, I remember our, we, have, we ran a big picture of the three rookies like on a cover of our basketball uh, preview at the Beacon Journal, and it was Harper, Doherty, and uh, Hot Rod. It was no price was in that, you know, because at that point, he was playing behind John Bagley. And he, he we saw it in camp, and that was the case the whole year, just sort of a backup, and he struggled, and he had an appendix attack in the middle of the season. And at the end of the year, going, I don't know what he is. Maybe he's a backup. Darius Garland, remember, he had a knee surgery he, his college career is 139 minutes and five games. And then uh, the Cavs take him fifth. And then after, right before training camp, he had a knee clean out or whatever they do again. So he had, a, he had two things on his knee. And as a rookie, he looked a lot like Price, looked kind of clunky. He wasn't He had trouble with the 24-second clock. He played a lot more because they just threw them out there. Uh, Lenny Wilkins was not going to throw Mark Price out there with starting three other rookies, he, even though John Bagley wasn't great. Bagley ran all the plays that Lenny wanted run, so that was that was a the deal there. So but so both looked very overmatched. Then the second season, the Cavs had so much confidence in Mark Price they turned around and drafted Kevin Johnson in the lottery, number seven. Uh, Kevin Johnson went on to a great career with Phoenix, but the middle of that second year they traded Kevin Johnson to the Suns and part of the Larry Nance deal. And uh, Mark had won the job, but I didn't know if he's really going to become an all-star, but now he's good enough to start. And the same thing with, with Darius, good enough to start. Then the third year, both of them just took off and became all-stars. The Cavs were a big surprise team in his third year too. That was the year they won 57 games, but they were so good come the all-star game in 89. They were number one in the East and Lenny Wilkins coached the team. And that was the year Nance Doherty and, and Price made the all-star team.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too. That I think, you know, Charles Barkley was talking about this yesterday is just, it is so much harder to come into the NBA as a point guard than it is at, at some of the other positions, yes. because it, it is, it's like being a quarterback, you got to learn not only your job, but what everybody else's job is. And I think there's one thing about seeing Mark Price and Darius Garland physically grow into the job right. and, and get stronger yeah. and tougher, but the, the mental game and just getting that experience and knowing where guys are supposed to be and, and where to put the ball to it when you're putting it in the post, all that stuff takes a lot of time to learn.
1: And and, 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 and like
0: a wing player might not need to learn all that stuff, right? no
1: it, it, When players almost like a running back, get the ball, go. Um, also both teams, the similarities, the, the Cavs had big men. They had was uh, 6'11", Hot Rod was six. I'm sorry, was 6'10", Hot Rod was 6'11", and Doherty was seven foot. And so, they didn't always play all three at once, but you usually had two of them out there, and you had to get on the ball. And the same thing here, you have to make sure you take care of your big men. As Mark Price said, part of the point guard is you have to win their trust, so they will follow you. It's a and, great line. And that's that's exactly what I think you see with Darius. And, and yeah, it takes a certain personality of the of the point guard to do that. Um, you know, Price was quieter, but on the court he was kind of he could be effervescent too, just like uh, Darius. And you listen to Darius been interviewed. He kind of boring, actually. You know, he's, he's real, real level headed and that, uh, but here's the difference. When Mark Price came to the NBA, he was the same age Darius Garland is right now, 22.
0: Different time, completely different. And, um, yeah. I'm going to be interested to see this is kind of like the nation's introduction to Darius Garland a little bit for fans. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cavs are, have hardly been on national TV, maybe once or twice. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be interested to see kind of how he presents himself and how much run he gets this weekend in terms of interviews yeah. and, and uh mention on the broadcast. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how that all comes together. Uh, Allen's
1: a delightful interview, he's kind of funny and, you know, he's, he's really thoughtful and, um, I remember like one of his lines, I loved it. He must have got it from his grandmother or something because he talked about um, how he spent the summer really developing those little post moves and things we have. He said, you know what it is? It's putting pennies in your piggy bank.
0: There when you need it. There Let's when you right need to. it. <laughs> All right, Terry, it's going to be a fun weekend, as you mentioned. Just to recap real quick, uh, Evan Mobley and Isaac Okoro are in the Rising Stars game. And then we will see Darius Garland and Jared Allen in the actual all-star game itself on Sunday. Then coming out of the break next week on Thursday, the 24th, the Cavs are at Detroit at seven o'clock and then they'll be home for three games. And then this will be an interesting one on March 4th, which is a Friday. They're going to get a rematch against the Sixers in Philly, which will be a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, barometer in terms of where they are coming out of the break. So,
1: And then speak- they'll have Ben Simmons and Hart. I mean, Yeah, they'll have James Harden might be back, yep. It's hard because the Harden deal. Simmons is gone, but they'll have Harden, excuse me, and want to see what they look like because uh, uh, they're talking about how Embiid has to do all this stuff on the broadcast of that game. But I'm like, well, he's doing it all now because he knows Harden's coming. He won't have to keep doing everything after that. That's the reason they didn't want Ben Simmons. That's where I was going with that. Remember, so much basketball is fit. It just is fit, and that's what you're saying here with the Cavs. That's why I'm glad – even right now we're talking about, we got to make sure Levert fits in the right way.
0: Yeah, and th- that that Philly matchup will be a completely different one than the last time just because you said of the dynamics changing. So, all right, speaking of breaks, Terry, let's take a break. We're going to come back. We'll talk a little Browns and Super Bowl, and we've got some guardians to talk about. Not a lot because they're no. still at an impasse. We can uh, talk about your faith column this week, and we've got some good, hey, Terry, questions from people who sent those in. So we'll be right back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk a little Super Bowl. You were mentioning earlier how the national narrative about the Cavs um, is taken a little bit of a dr- dramatic turn since the Cavs are having a great season. And during the Super Bowl, Browns fans kind of saw the OBJ saga get kind of a weird national
1: narrative twist to it during the game, didn't they? How about inaccurate? <laughs> That's probably a better way to you had it. to say, here's the reality. He did not play well with Cleveland. They clearly did not know how to use him in the red zone. That's the biggest criticism I have. You know, he has no touchdown passes. He goes there and he gets five. Um, Connor Cup was part of it, but I also just think they just, a couple of times they just didn't give him chances in the end zone. They wouldn't throw it to him. So that's that's a very fair criticism. But this Cleveland kicked him to the street, you know, all this. My goodness, he'd been trying to get out of here for a year and a half.
0: Yeah. And that was completely lost. It, it's funny how the Cleveland vibe is always, oh, poor Cleveland or Cleveland screwed things up. And it's it was interesting, too. And some I've seen some people tweeting this. I think Fox Sports put up a, a tweet yesterday was the anniversary of uh, Bill Belichick yeah. being fired by the Bengals. And it it said something like oh, on this date in uh, what was it, nineteen ninety five the uh, Browns fired Bill Belichick, you know, which is completely wrong.
1: Like the team had already moved to Baltimore. And the, the timeline is very accurate.
0: Yeah, it's and just it's just road kind road. of like this this uh, this fable that, that lives out there. And I'm, I'm just wondering if the OBJ thing is going to be the same thing down the road and, and my, you know, well, Cleveland, Cleveland kicked him out and Lyle look kind of thing. It
1: would have been had he had he ended up being MVP of the Super Bowl or whatever. Unfortunately for him, and even though I'm not a big OG, o, OBJ fan, my goodness, I don't want to see this guy tear his ACL again. Yeah, Because I'll awful. give him credit. he He worked his butt off to come back and play as well as he did. That is a major injury for a guy who relies on his legs. And so uh, take and then the work ethic I never took away from, but it was just the OBJ thing from beginning to end was just strange here. And I think when you look at it, you go back and say, all right, John Dorsey had a tendency to, one, he had a good eye for t- Allen. Let's, let's, let's start with that. And he was not afraid to make a gutsy move. You know, like Denzel Ward at number four was a really good pick. I mean, Bradley Chubb between... But he wanted the cornerback. Um, you know, he was going to take Baker Mayfield. Period. You know, people wanted. Remember, he got to go back. Nobody was talking much about Josh Allen up there. Talking about Sam Darnold up there, um, and and so that was a, a, a move he made. And you know, Nick Chubb, second round. Some people thought you don't take a running back that high. But he also had a tendency to do it like it's a fantasy league. Just bring these guys in here and coach him up and given any thought to well what about obj and why is it that new york kind of has had it with him and you know is he going to be able to work with a rookie quarterback and all these kind of things and you already have jarvis landry do you really want to do this um, set up that dynamic but he never thought about that just like he sometimes didn't think about character issues either
0: yeah, and it's,
1: it's sometimes things just don't.
0: You're talking about fit with the Cavs earlier. Sometimes yeah. things just don't fit. And when John Dorsey made that trade, he thought he was getting uh, a number one receiver like a Cooper Cup or like you know, you, yeah. like a Jamar Chase. And and that was not the OBJ that the Browns were playing. I mean, it was a lot there of crossing OBJ, routes. It was a lot also, of
1: yeah, yeah. It wasn't the OBJ that played the last two years because he's hurt a lot.
0: And he was a different – yeah, amazing. the injuries and, and the core the core injury he had. And it was just – you know, he wasn't the OBJ of the of the Giants days. There's no doubt about that. And I think th- the narrative should be it didn't work out. The Browns couldn't use him in the right way. Everybody moved on, and that's it. That's like that's, that's it, what man. it should be. But I'm going to be curious to see how it kind of how plays it, how out, it from, how it's voted, remembered. Yes.
1: Because yeah. it's, now it's going to go, morph into why, why would anyone in receiver come here? They don't know what to do with them. Um, And it it is a fair criticism to the extent of the receivers in the red zone. They had only seven touchdown passes from two receivers this past year. It's just, it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Doug LaMaurice and Scott Patzko, who do our got to watch the tape podcast. And I know on the orange and Brown talk podcast, they've, they've often suggested that the Browns might be better off drafting young wide receivers who don't, don't know. Like, hey, we just got drafted. We're excited. We're going to come in. We're going to tear things up instead of trying to bring in, you know, how the free agents will be talking to each other. Their agents will be talking. Oh, don't go to Cleveland. Whereas if you draft young, dynamic guys, they won't know, and they're just going to come in with a fresh approach. And I, I think By that way, might be the way to go for the Browns.
1: And totally lost in that story. I outlined it. The Browns went to great lengths to make sure with his with OBJ's agents to get what he wanted, which was the ability to be a complete free agent and um, signed with whatever team he wanted because he had two option years so they had to get rid of those and they had to transform some of his salary into a bonus to keep this cap number high so that no team would claim him on waivers they were worried about something like Detroit or whatever taking him on waivers so that it was too high so then he would get to be a free agent now the Browns did say four four million in the process so I'm not saying they're you know mother Teresa here but some teams also would have said, well, just forget it. Now, why do you do that, David? Why, why would you go all that length with OBJ?
0: Because you want to be well-respected around the league and have, have guys want to come play here because they know, they know they're going to be treated right. I mean, that's the number one thing, but that's not the thing you're going to hear on the Super
1: Bowl broadcast. You know, and also keep yeah. the, you know Andrew Barry is a good, good rapport with agents and you want to keep it that way. So um, that way obj could say a lot of things but he can't say they stuck it to him when it came to being released and taking away his options they set it up so he got the options that he wanted uh to go wherever he would be a uh, whoever wanted him where would be a, a good landing spot
0: yeah and if the browns end up in the super bowl in the next year or two it'll all kind of just fade off into the distance I mean, and, and the tough a- thing
1: for him is another as a uh, acl i don't know when does he come back i
0: and same, same need one. too same. Need. Need. Yeah. Well, good luck. You're right. It's, it's awful to see that happen. And, and we wish them all the best. So Terry, uh, about the game itself, I want to run a theory past you. All right. <laughs> see what you think about it. Okay. Everybody was watching the halftime show. They've been pumping the halftime show for months and months. Great lineup, right? Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is, he's a genius, right? He's, he's arguably one of the best artists of his generation. And I'm watching the Super Bowl halftime show. I'm like, all right, this is a great lineup. And then they drop 50 cent, 50 cent drops in out of nowhere into this halftime show that has five legendary performers in it. And I'm like, why would you drop 50 cent? You're just taking time away from the other artists who everybody wants to see. I mean, 50 cents. Great, right. He's got a lot of fans, but they had this great lineup. And then I'm watching the game. And it comes down the to the way, end of the game. I'm gonna
1: leave you hanging out there. You're gonna leave I me didn't hanging like the halftime show. I didn't care less <laughs> about okay. people. That's all right. So it you comes know. down but to the whatever, end of the game. I mean, again, I and I also I remember um when I was doing a lot with the NBA and Brian Winhurst was he and I worked together at the beacon and then later at the point you were together. So periodically there'd be some rap guy there or something, and I would say Brian, do I need to know who this guy is? And you know, sometimes he explained, well, yeah, this guy, you know, Usher's a big business guy or whatever. He goes, ah, now he's nobody. So because I didn't know anybody is, and so, but in terms of how the end doing it, it's like everything. Did, why does everything have to be over the top? I think that's where you're going to. What is no, what no, no no This
0: did? is where I'm going, Terry. So you have okay. five incredible artists who would okay. have put on an incredible show, and instead of letting them have the whole halftime show, you brought in a sixth person and took time away from Kendrick Lamar and Mary J Blige. Like they could have had, they could have had more time instead of dropping a 50 cent segment in which basically took snaps away from the other people. And then you come down to the end of the game. And we've talked about this with the Browns and it all ties into the Browns. So, all right. The Bengals have third. <laughs> the Bengals have third and one on the last drive yeah. at the end of the game with 49 seconds left. I'm sorry. With 54 seconds left they in they're at the Rams, 49, yes. third and one. And who do they give the ball to on third and one? Do they give it to their version of Nick Chubb? Then we'll no. Give it to they give it to Samaje Pirine on third – on the biggest play of the season, okay? Joe Mixon is on the sideline. He's
1: yeah, was, he's on the sideline
0: watching, and, and Pirine gets the ball. He had one carry for zero yards up to that point. He gets that handoff, and he finished the game with two carries for zero yards at that point. Where is Joe Mixon in that situation? And then it got me thinking. Like we've seen the Browns do this do repeatedly that, yeah. this season, where they've built this entire offense around Nick Chubb, and it comes down to they need a big drive at the end of the game, and Nick Chubb is on the sideline because the quote-unquote third down offense is in the fifty cent in the game. Yeah, and it's either <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, Deon, Dearness Johnson is the fifty cent in this in this equation, right? I just I'm really puzzled. It's like they work for months to get to this point, And it's the biggest play. If you're gonna go down, go down with like your star players trying to make plays instead of standing on the sideline. It was really, it was really weird how it kind of congealed in my head just well, watching you know, all this happen.
1: Now, here's how you, you'll the old thing overthinking. So the Bengals are thinking, well, let's see. They'll think third and one, we're gonna get the ball to Mixon. So what we'll do is we'll take Mixon out. So they'll think. Mix is not there. They got to be passing, so we can hand it to Fifty Cent, and they'll never (laughs) they'll never expect that happening. But the reason they would never expect it happening is because the odds against uh, of of it working are astronomical. That's why they would never. I
0: mean, Joe Mixon. I think he finished the day with 15 carries for 72 yards. And he, you know,
1: fake it if you want to fake it to Joe nixon and throw a pass to the tight end for two yards, first down.
0: Yeah. So I, I think you're right. It's like they, they outthink themselves sometimes. It's like you you have these star players. You should use them when the when it's, when it's the time is right. And it's just really weird to see.
1: And to your point, too, David, when they're not on the field, when Chubb is not on the field, the opposing defensive coordinator goes, "Oh, well, thank goodness for that. Okay, yeah, we check. Oh, I'm making my play call. Well, I don't have to account for him. Yeah, we're going to, to we're gonna build our whole ones.
0: offense we're going to build our whole offense around this this spectacular running back. but when the game is on the line, we're going to put him on the sideline because I mean, it, and the it, nice yeah, thing
1: about it I, I never mind it when it's third and one and you got your star in there and you play fake to him. I'm okay with that you know he's still a weapon even without the ball
0: absolutely and if you ask Nick Chubb to throw a block on a blitzing linebacker he will do it gladly and if the situation calls for it, he should be in there doing that or throw I mean, him a swing pass or show, throw him a screen or throw him a I mean he can run five di- five yards down the field squat into a zone and catch a ball and, and try and turn it into something
1: and he, he showed it he showed it in a bunch of games this year when they actually yeah. did it. now he threw him the ball because for, for a while I understood Kareem Hunt's such a good receiver but you know Kareem missed half the games this year so Yeah, there you go. That's a good point. (laughs) All right, Terry, let's speak into
0: the Browns. um,
1: I I, I brought 50 cent into the conversation.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that. So, so obviously Aaron Donald got a lot of praise after that game and he, he should have been the MVP, I think, but we saw what a dominant defense can do. Mm -hmm. The Browns are in pretty good shape in terms of having a dominant defense, especially down the stretch Do you think this Browns defense is in a position where they can be a, uh, a defense that can take them deep into the playoffs, even Super Bowl level, from, from where they're at right now?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. And who would have said that a year ago? But especially when you look at the last eight games, I think rarely were they giving up more than 20 points. Um, the reason when they were losing is because their offense couldn't score 20 points. But yes, and I expect – when you look at the defense, um, your key guys are pretty much all coming back. You know, you get, they got to figure out some stuff with the linebacker. But you talk about JOK, okay, and you talk about Newsom, and you talk about Denzel Ward, and you talk about Miles Garrett. You know, the big question will be about Clowney. Clowney's going to want to break the bank. So that'll be um, fascinating to see how that plays out. But maybe there's another defensive end they could bring in here. So what, what would you, speaking of Clowney, so what would you, he
0: made $8 million this year, if I remember correct, or last 2021 is 8 million. Would you be happy to get him back for 8 million? Would you need to you be to I'd love to get him on for like one year 10
1: or 12. You know, I'd give him 10 or 12 for a year, you know, or two or three, maybe three years, but only half of it guaranteed at 18 or something like that. But and you know, that knee still that he's had all these problems with, I'm sure when they do the medical stuff, it doesn't look great. And by the way, Clowney should, it may sound like a hometown line, but there's a reason in Cleveland they were able to keep him on the field longer than some of these other teams. Their medical must have worked well for him. And he's got to kept Baker on the field too long, <laughs> you could argue that too. But yeah. I still get emails about well, why didn't they play Case Keenan more? I'm like, I, I'm tired of writing this. I've written it too many times. You know, it's just, they didn't. They wouldn't, they didn't, they do not want to listen.
0: All right, well, we'll see what happens with the with the Clowney situation. And I, I think for $10 million, they could get somebody else who's pretty good too. Yes. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that more as we get closer to free agency, which is the middle of But I'm March, glad you so.
1: about the defense because I think it's a cr- critical part of this. Because if the defense were giving up 25 to 30 points a game, uh, in the second half of the season, then I'm like, oh, great. The quarterback's a mess. The defense is not real good. But that's not the case. The defense is, defense is good enough.
0: Yeah, it's all about scoring points, as, as we've been writing on Cleveland.com. So, all right, Terry, um, we don't need to talk much baseball, right? Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report this week, and they're not, and negotiations are stuck, and it's kind and of a sad baseball. state of Well That's how they do it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Carol S. All right. How would you like to be trying to sell a Guardians ticket right now? Be a tough job. Be a tough job. So right. it has nothing to do with whether you think the Guardians are going to be any good or not. You don't even know when a season's going to start.
0: I mean, yeah. you just don't. You don't. And single game tickets went on sale. Well, I got. I got.
1: Uh, uh, cool. I got an email from a guy a fan, a fan named Ken, that's down in Goodyear. Writes me all the time, and he said they are really worried because you know a lot of their. Uh, economy down in arizona florida this time of year you know spring training drives a lot of dollars and everything and these fans look forward to it and it's like oh no i mean and
0: that's right you don't know yeah and it's not just the tickets and the concessions it's all the hotels and the restaurants well, and everything I mean, yeah. else yeah they're going to take a big I mean, hit I mean, it's even it's if a
1: it's a thing to do you know it really is to go down to spring training but
0: all right well let's get into kind of a nostalgic baseball story terry your, your faith in you column this week you tell a tale about how when you took a trip to pennsylvania with your father i, I guess i wasn't really aware that your dad was like a bird dog scout for the indians yeah. and, and he had helped them you know find a player here and there that they might want to look at but it was an interesting tale how you went to pennsylvania one time
1: yeah they fought back then this is like middle 60s early 60s and i hadn't thought of the story for I don't know, 50 years. I'm not, seriously, I I don't know it was the last time I thought of the story. Um, But my dad uh, died on his birthday, February 7th is when he died. He died in 1998. Um, And so, but it was recently February 7th. And for whatever reason, this story flashed back to me of when um, my father, back then, there were were a lot of these guys. They were bird dogs for different teams. A bird dog meant you were not a full-time coach. I mean, not a full-time scout, but you had... You, I kind of worked for the team. They would give my dad this pass where he could take me and him to a game for 50 cents each We can get in sit in general admission. So that was your payoff. If you actually, you would find players, you give the name. At that point, the Indians had a guy named Paul O'Day ran the scouting department, which was pretty small for the Indians. If you gave it to Paul O'Day, if he or one of those guys actually signed that player and you would get like $1,000 if you went to Double A, and, you know, I don't know, something or other. Um, so my dad would periodically go out in fact one of the players he tried to get the indians to sign was rich rollins from parma high and from kent state because my dad we lived in parma at the time and uh my dad thought he was really good the indians were not interested rollins signed with the twins and played 10 years in the big leagues so uh, at least he would have had one guy he was right um, on that one yep he was right on that because this is before the draft too by the way so this is when he really just kind of gave names and and they they signed people um so he says to me, "Growing up, we're going to go to Pennsylvania." And I, I try to remember the, the the name of the this guy. I'm going to go with Tritty, uh, but I couldn't remember it. Uh, it was a nickname. It was a guy that played. My dad played with in the army, and um, my dad played a fairly high level of baseball in the army of these top service teams. He had these minor leaguers and big leaguers there. Um, I know he talked about playing uh, against a guy named Johnny Beasley, who won 21 games for the cardinals before uh we played with a guy named willard marshall who was a three-time all-star after the war with the giants um this guy Tritty my dad said a pitcher it was a friend he was just as good at as any of these guys and uh he had been in the minors he would get homesick and go home to pennsylvania and that well my dad heard that triddy's son was a really good pitcher so he was gonna we we're gonna go check him out so i don't know whether he was supposed to be pitching or what but we went and we went to my friend's, his friend's house in these hills of Pennsylvania, I remember, kind of like where the mills were in that. And um, so we, we show up and we're talking and I, and you could tell something was going on or like people the house. And my dad's sitting there with his friend and, and me, the kid's not even there. And um, he says to my dad, uh, he's not going to sign, even if you can get him signed. Well, why not? He said, we got a wedding coming. And you know, at that point, I didn't quite get it. I'm young, and he says, "No, he's going to finish school. He's going to go to work in the mill. We got a wedding r- real soon." And so there were some more. They told some army stories And I'm driving back, and and my dad. I said, "Well, dad, why can't he play?" He says, uh, "Look, he he just can't. He's getting married. That's the way it is." And that was it. I don't remember anything else. But what it brought back to me, you know, was that that generation, they came through World War II, they came through the depression. You know, even those of us who are sons of that generation, you know, you had a thing of, you do your duty, this is it, you go to work, you shut your mouth, you know. And frankly, I realized then, of course, the the woman that he was marrying was pregnant. And so this is what they were gonna do. And it was kind of hard, well, what kind of faith column was that? And as I was writing it, I was kind of asking myself that. But I think it has to do with duty and family, you know, and that. And you mentioned we were just talking, you know, kind of like the seasonal income, you know, the sacrifice. But it also was a generation. Not everybody was, you know, the great, great, not everybody in the greatest generation was great, but there were a lot of quiet heroes. And also, I just think, too, that Pennsylvania, coal, the Eastern European background that I have in a lot of them, um, the working class as they, you know, they're, Uh, That was real strong. So that was it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. And it's amazing to think about like uh,
0: what if if he had gone the baseball career, his life would have been completely different potentially. And, you know, he did the right thing quote unquote, as they used to say back in the day. And like that took him on a completely different path. I wonder what he's too. doing
1: now and what that guy's doing now. I can remember the name. I can remember, I can't remember anything, but I remember that. I remember seeing this tiny house, this, this aluminum kitchen table. And I just remember the smell of, of stuff, of stuffed cabbage. And that's it. And this, it just didn't work. And my father was kind of quiet on the way home um so but i remember because back then they paid if you think they paid nothing in the minors now it was less than nothing back then and it was
0: like the wild west you just kind of hooked up where you could and they paid you what they could yeah
1: Yeah. so and the odds of of, of getting to the big leagues because there are fewer teams and everything else were even more against you um so that's the story all right, catch that on cleveland.com on Saturday, and
0: you can find it in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. All right, I want to apologize. Mike Swan, who is the student sports media advisor at Butler Community College in Kansas, he wrote a really nice letter about your story on Bill Fitch, um, who passed away recently. I, I'm going to save that because we're running a little short on time. So, Mike, okay. we will get to you next week, but we do have some Hey Terry questions. This one was really interesting. It came in right after the Super Bowl. It's from Dennis Gedeon, and he says, Hey, Terry why wasn't the Rams Aaron Donald penalized for removing his helmet on the field with 43 seconds left in the game? I recall the Browns, (laughs) I recall the Browns lost a game years ago for doing just that against, I believe the Kansas city chiefs and Dennis, you are right. That was against the chiefs. It was Dwayne Rudd. It's a legendary moment in Browns history. So you remember that play, right? Oh, of course. So,
1: I they, would have liked it. You know why they didn't have guts enough to do that
0: in <laughs> the super. Well, I think that was part of it. The other thing Terry and I, I wrote Dennis back to tell him this was the Dwayne Rudd play was so weird that the Chiefs were driving trying to to win the game. They needed a field goal to win it and there was, the, the Browns sacked or... the quarterback and there was a fumble. And yeah. Dwayne Rudd might have caused the fumble, but somebody on the alignment on the Chiefs picked it up behind the line of scrimmage and so he was allowed to run with it. But Dwayne Rudd didn't see that, and so after the sack happened, he took his helmet off and started celebrating, but the play was still going on because yeah. the ball had been fumbled, and so the referees threw the 15-yard uh, penalty on him for taking his helmet off. The Chiefs got to move the ball 15 yards up, and they kicked the field over the game, so I think that was the big difference was the play. It was during a play, whereas if they called Aaron Donald, the play was over. It was a dead ball foul the Rams probably would have had to move the ball back 15 yards and taken a knee from 15 yards. All back. I got
1: to say is this, these are times I need my, one of my mentors, the the, the late Hal Lebowitz. Ask oh Hal yeah. Ask sort of throw all of these rules things.
0: So. And Hal was like a referee in four different he, sports. He I really think, was. He was. He was yeah. He was. the
1: column was ask Cala, Hal the referee because he was, he did <laughs> basketball, he did football. I think he did track meets. He knew it all. He knew it all. I That's know, why he's he could, a legend. He could do it all. He taught chemistry for a while. I mean, I was back in the old days. All right.
0: We got time for one more. And this is from longtime listener, Paul Cosgrove, who's from Stowe. He says, Hey, Terry, everyone's talking about wide receiver for the Browns as a first round pick. I'm proposing a different approach. The Browns have a good running back with a good offensive line, but they have a problem getting the three yard game when they have to. I noticed the Browns' center, JC Treder often gets blown up and pushed back into the backfield on run plays. I'm proposing drafting a dominant run blocking center that can pair with Wyatt Teller and can dominate the opposing defensive line. This added improvement in the run game will take pressure off the passing game. Also moving on from JC Tredder could save $8 million on the cap to possibly sign a free agent receiver. Also Nick Harris has a similar profile to Tredder in that they are both considered fitness players. I don't know what he means by that. Maybe just athletic and able well, to move. Good, yeah. I mean, um, Treader, he, he Treader. likes, he likes Tyler Linden, Linden Linderbaum from Iowa, um, who's a potential first rounder. And he says you can get a quality receiver like Garrett Wilson in the second round. I don't know if that's true or not. I think Garrett Wilson might go in the first round, but anyway, it's an interesting theory here from Paul Cosgrove. What do you think of that, of looking to get another great offensive lineman in the first round and then filling out later on with receivers and JC Treader's a lot in there to unpack. Yeah,
1: there is. Um, you know, Treader's he stayed healthy somehow, but he hardly, he's like Joe Thomas at the end. He never practices, you know, he just plays. You just wonder how long that can go on. Um, Harris got hurt again, second year in a row. Cause he got hurt some in, as his rookie year. Uh, Cause I know they like him. I think his general thing though, looking at a center in the draft, maybe not in the first round, but they, they could be looking at one that, that wouldn't, surprise me also i would be shocked if they took a receiver in the first round really yes could be wrong but i just don't think that's how they're going to look at it i think they think they can get it later i don't know i don't have a good feeling for the draft but just how they they kind of think analytically this group and that i would i would i would be shocked if they unless there's some receiver they absolutely love but I like the center. To, I like, I like where Paul went with the center. We need to really look at that some more, be good for your football guys to look at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, the, the people to break down the film, Scott and so on. Um, how good was Treader this past year? Uh, how much of a decline was it? And so, uh, cause you, you know, the offensive line in general, they also need a guy who's like, what they wanted Chris Hubbard to be the last two years, but he had trouble staying healthy. That veteran guy that could play multiple positions. They need to get one of those guys.
0: Right. That might be too much to trust a rookie with. Yes, that would be veteran, a veteran. That's right? Right. a
1: veteran guy there. Yeah. But maybe, you know, rookie center, I mean, I remember when the, um, it was a great pick. when Alex uh, Mack? Alex Mack with Eric Mangini. I was trying to remember Mangini's name. That was his idea. And, I, in fact, I wrote that they might take him because I was tipped off that um, Mangini loves centers. So.
0: All right. We shall see an interesting question there. Thanks for sending that in. Hey, if you want to hit us with a question for next week's podcast, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can hit Terry up on his Facebook page, or if you want to send us an email, you can just send it to an easy address. It's sports at cleveland.com and we'll try and get it on the show. We're getting a lot of great questions. Um, we'll try to get through them all next week. Uh, we're a little short on time today. So, all right, Terry, time for Terry's trivia. It's an all-star question and it's kind of a two-parter. I think you're probably going to get this one. So we talked about the Cavs having two all-stars with Darius Garland and Jared Allen. The last time the Cavs had two all-stars in the all-star game, it was who?
1: Was it uh, Love and LeBron?
0: It was Kyrie Irving and LeBron, and they okay. did it twice in 2015 and 2017. So, few years before that, they also had two All-Stars in 2009. I could not remember this. I bet you might have a shot at it. It was LeBron and somebody else in 2009. Mo yes. I had forgotten that Mo Williams I just looked
1: this one up. <laughs> they had two All-Stars. This makes no sense to me, by the way. In 1972, the second year of the franchise, the two All-Stars were John Johnson and Butch Beard. Really? I am trying to run down Bushbeard Beard and interview him about the 72 all-star game. Campy Russell is trying to help me. I interviewed him. I'm going to talk to some players from like the seventies when they just kind of went and played the game and see what, uh, what it was like because Campy made the team made it in 79. It was in the Pontiac um, dome, which he was thrilled because he's from Pontiac, Michigan, but he went to lunch he Hung around with Pete Merovich. They played the game in the dome. They went home. No after parties or anything. <laughs> no, that was yeah, no,
0: uh, no he concerts. Said,
1: buddy, what he, he said, I like this about he said about the all star game. He said that it gives you a chance to talk to guys, spend time with guys you normally would. He goes, I thought Merovich is kind of a selfish and sort of a hot dog. He goes, We had great, we just, we just. Gravitated to each other. We sat each next to each other in the bus coming and going. We went to lunch. He goes, and after that, he struck up a friendship with Pete Maravich you know, the the flashy guard there who's kind of lost in NBA history. And he said that's one of the the real nice things about the All Star game is you're with these guys in a different environment. And also back then, remember players didn't socialize as much. you know, in the off season and all that stuff at parties like they do now. It was a, it was a different game for that too. So.
0: Yeah. And it's things like that, that you always hear LeBron talk about, uh, oh, so-and-so is one of the best we have in our league. He always calls it our league. And I think you're right. right, That's that kind of fellowship is built during events like the all-star weekend. So should be a fun one here. Thanks uh, for getting uh, tripped on memory lane there. Terry. Didn't didn't Love love made an all-star
1: team in Cleveland. When did he make, Love made an all-star team in Cleveland.
0: Um, he might have, but I was looking for two. They for years oh, they had yeah. two guys, yeah. Maybe
1: only they had three, they might have had three with love, Kyrie. Yeah, and
0: I was looking to see guys who played in the game too. So there might have oh, been someone right. who was hurt. So yeah, that but we'll double possible, check man. that. If, if I had that wrong, we'll fix it next week. But um, okay. yeah, interesting. I forgot about the Mo Williams year in 2009. So all right, Terry, that's gonna do it. Uh let's give a quick shout out again for your event tomorrow night at the music box. It's musicboxclea.com slash schedule. And you'll see Terry's event there tomorrow night on yeah, Thursday, Thursday night, night, night the seventeenth. Seven. Great. Have fun with that. Hope you get a great turnout. And we will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.